How many of you have ever had just a divine appointment? A a chance meeting with someone that afterwards you're like, I'm not so sure that was chance. Uh, Anyway, lots lots of head nods. Whether it's a a neighbor that we've been praying for that we see in the store, whether it's someone from the church, and I've had that all the time. Now, truth be told, if you go to Costco nearby or Rouse nearby, you're probably going to see someone from the church at at those times. Yeah. um, But there are times where God orchestrates seemingly random events to bring relationships together, to bring opportunities together, because God is doing something in the lives of us and of them and wanting us to to take advantage of those opportunities. This morning we're going to call those divine appointments because I think they happen a lot. I think that we miss them a lot too, and they would happen a lot more if we are seeking them out and looking to God for how he would direct. And so today, we're going to to really explore and ask probably one of the most amazing divine appointments that is clearly divine, clearly set up by God, and, and we can learn so much from it. Not that we are going to have a chance meeting with a chariot out on the, the five freeway, but that God is going to bring people into our lives that need to know him that need to hear about him. And so we'll, we'll come to this text and see how it happened, see what we can learn from it, and we'll end, just to let you know where we're going, by saying, okay, how can we be looking for these kinds of divine encounters, these kinds of divine appointments? Because they are happening all around us, because God is going to use his people to build his church. Now, as you remember last week when we were looking at the first part of Acts 8, the gospel had just spread from Jerusalem to Samaria and Judea. And that's, that was because of persecution. That was because of some just really difficult things that were happening to the church. And so they, they had to spread. In, in many ways, God allowed that to spread the church. And instead of going quiet and going into silence, they started preaching the word in all the new places they went to. And so what Satan meant to stop the church ended up being the most amazing spread of the church because of God's will and God's direction. And so we saw that the gospel had crossed boundaries. It had crossed over into Judea. It had crossed over into Samaria. We talked about the hatred for Samaria, and they were like half-breeds and not quite Gentile, not quite Jews. And, and so we saw that God brought them into the church and welcomed into the church because all are welcome at the foot of the cross. Today we come to a text where God then does the same thing but he does it with a Gentile. And and not just a a Gentile near them, but a Gentile from far away with a different culture and with other issues. But but God is bringing people of all kinds into his church. And so as we look at the text today, my summary of it there in your notes is God directs Philip to share the gospel with an Ethiopian eunuch, showing that salvation is for all people, and giving us an example of spirit-directed outreach. Of spirit-directed outreach. This is one of those stories where so many of the principles I want to look at today and that we can get out of are just woven through the whole passage. So it's a little harder to, to say, well, to this verse is point number one and this verse is point number two. So we're going to jump around a little bit. And so in light of that, I just want to start by reading the whole passage and reading the story, give ourselves an overview of the story, and then we'll pull out little pieces of it to see why God has put this in his word for us to learn. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 is where we'll be starting today. 
Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join that chariot, this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself as, at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. May the Lord bless the reading of his word as we study it today. Let's pray. Lord God, may your spirit guide us as we look at this text. Lord, convict us. Encourage us with the power of the gospel. But Lord, challenge us to, to be looking for your spirit to guide and direct and looking for ways to share the gospel with as many as possible, Lord. In your name, amen. What a story, right? A story of, a, of an incredible divine appointment that is just wonderful to see. And it's a little bit surreal. How can this happen? And, and we have transportation happening in here and, and we have all these chance encounters and a, a bunch of other coincidences, coincidences by the way, that we not, may not be even be realizing are there. But what I want to look at today is how can, we, how can we see the Spirit direct us toward divine appointments like this? How can we be more in tune with what the Spirit is doing and be seeing how we can share the gospel better? And, and not just with maybe one person that we're targeting, but how can we be open to share the gospel at any time? And so we start right from, verse, right from the, the very first phrase, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. And one of the things that we see throughout this text is, is God is directing, he is superintending the process. Here he says, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go do this. A little bit later in verse 29, we see the Holy Spirit directed him, go to the chariot. In verse 39, the Holy Spirit didn't even really ask, just transported him away. But the Holy Spirit is the one that is orchestrating, God is orchestrating all of the events here. And so the first thing that we have to see and what, what I believe is Luke is stressing here is we need to learn to be reliant on the Holy Spirit for direction and insight. Learn to be reliant on the Holy Spirit for direction and insight. 
We've talked about the Holy Spirit from time to time. We did a series on the Holy Spirit. But we continue to see throughout Acts that the Holy Spirit is core. He is essential to what God is doing. And so we continue to talk about him as a church because he is essential for us as a church to be moving forward with what God is doing and moving forward with what God would have for village. And so we have to learn to be reliant on the Holy Spirit for direction and insight. We've explored it, we've studied it, now we have an example, which is why I wanted to spend some time talking about that in this text. What is the example that we see? Because as we read this story, we see God's fingerprints everywhere on this story of how God is orchestrating the salvation of this Ethiopian eunuch. He's working in Philip. He's working in the eunuch. He's working in circumstances. He's working in the speed of the chariot, the location, and and all these things. But God is working. So the first part of this is as we're learning to, to be reliant on the Holy Spirit, we have to notice the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's an issue of direction. How is the Holy Spirit going to direct us? And so we need to learn to be in tune with when the Holy Spirit says to go do something, then we need to notice that that's the Holy Spirit. We need to notice that this is from Him. We need to learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know, in, in 26 here, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, and it's interesting that the first, the, the first person mentioned is the angel of the Lord. And then the Holy Spirit sort of takes over, But the angel of the Lord is the same wording that we have for other times that an angel, a messenger, has come. It's the same wording Luke used of the messenger that came and released Peter and John from prison. We saw an angel of the Lord come with Mary and Joseph. And so it seems as if when there is a special message that God doesn't want someone to miss, that he sends one of his messengers to do it. In this case, think about where we left Philip. He's north of Jerusalem in Samaria, and he is seeing hundreds and hundreds of people come to Christ. He is having fruitful ministry. And he, he just saw the, the Holy Spirit come to the Samaritans, and he saw the miracle there and everything that's happening. He is in a good place ministry-wise. And God is going to move him, and it makes no sense to us. And so he has to leave success in Samaria, and the instruction here is, Go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And and there's some debate because even going toward the south, they would have known that this road was to the south. But it's the same wording for in the middle of the day or at noontime. And that would be the worst time to go to the desert road because it's hot in the desert. And and actually our desert just doesn't do justice to the, the Negev down there, the desert down there. It is inhospitably hot. And so Philip's told to go, possibly in the middle of the day, but definitely to this road, and said, just go there. See what I'm going to do. Just go there. And if it was in the middle of the day, it's like, okay, but, but there's not even anyone else on the road in the middle of the day. To give us just some idea, geography of where that is, I have a little map here. Same map as last time, and we saw that, that Philip went from Jerusalem up into Samaria here. So he's up here, fruitful ministry. And God says, and I think the angel of the Lord came to, to, to say, no, really, I want you to go. Really, I want you to leave this ministry up here. And I want you to come back to Jerusalem and take this road that eventually is go, going to go down to Gaza. 
And, and there's some debate. Some think the ancient road went to Hebron and then over. Some think it cut over here. Either way, this is desert. Wilderness sometimes it's called. And, and so this is, I, I know it were, the blue shading's for Judea. It, it isn't for climate. Because um, it looks, oh, that looks so peaceful and nice. And, um, no, it, it, was, it was pretty ugly country. But that's how you got there. And the Ethiopian eunuch, Ethiopia is modern-day Sudan, just south of Egypt. This is the way that he's going home. He had just been in Jerusalem to worship, the text says, probably almost a 70-day journey one way. So this man is genuinely seeking God, right? If you're going to take a, a whole entourage 70 days up, 70 days back, just to worship in Jerusalem, well, he's coming back the main road because you'd come to Gaza and then Gaza, there was a main road that would go down to Egypt, and you could get to, to his country through that way. But to Philip, when he just hears, go to this road in the middle of the day, possibly, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, this is a desert place, which Luke adds there, just in case we miss it. This, this is isolated. This command doesn't seem to make sense. And I'm reminded that not all the things God asks us to do make sense to us. But they always do to him, don't they? I mean, how many times have we obeyed God in something and we're like, I have no idea why I'm doing it. And then a, a month later or a year later, we're like, oh, that's what God was doing. That's how he was orchestrating things. That's what we see here. Now, so, so, so we see that Philip had to notice the leading of the Holy Spirit. Easier with the angel of the Lord, but even later, look at 29 and 30. 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So now he's on the road, he sees this chariot of a dignitary and a, and a whole entourage, and then he, the Holy Spirit says, and that's going to come probably from a nudging in his mind, in, in his heart, that says, why didn't you go over to the chariot? And he'd be like, No. No, no, I, 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 that's not my place. They're not from my country. This is ridiculous. But he goes. We're going to get to that in a minute. And so the Holy Spirit is guiding him to some things that are really odd, some things that are really strange, but he obeys and he goes. I'm reminded of when Philip was chosen. Remember chapter 6 when the seven were chosen? He's one of the seven like early examples of deacons. And one of the requirements was that these were men full of the Holy Spirit. And we see that. He's listening to the Holy Spirit. He's going. <clears throat> and so we want to be Philip. We want to be like this where we are hearing the voice of God, that we are understanding the voice of God and seeing where Jesus would have us go or where the Holy Spirit would have us go. One of the other parts is not only did he notice, but he obeyed, right? Back to, to verse 26. Now, <clears throat> Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down. This is a desert place. What does 27 say? And he rose and went. And that is a statement of, of immediate obedience. It's a beautiful statement. Not, I don't know, God, we're, I think we can get a, a thousand more souls here in Samaria. How about then? No, he says he rose and went. He knew the instruction from God. He heard the promptings of God. And he went. I already mentioned 29 and 30. And, and so the Spirit said to Philip, go over to the chariot. 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, 
Do you understand what you're reading? Now, that, that's not just obedience, right? That's immediate obedience and running to do it. This is like telling your kids to clean up their room, and they're like, yes, and they go running, and they clean up the room better than you had hoped. And when you get up off the floor, you're like, what just happened? This is that kind of obedience. He ran to do something that would have been awkward, that would have been countercultural. He ran to do it. And so not only did he notice the leading of the Holy Spirit, but he obeyed the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that village is what we need to work on. Are we hearing the Holy Spirit? And are we willing to do what he has asked? Are we willing for that kind of obedience? Galatians 5.25, after it talks about the fruit of the Spirit and compares walking with the Spirit and walking with the world, Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And the idea is that I'm obeying, I'm walking with Him, I'm doing what He says. If I have the Spirit, I should be obeying Him. And so, so as we think about this first, this first point of learning to be reliant on the Holy Spirit for direction and insight, we see a wonderful example of that in Philip. But the question that we've talked about even together on Sunday morning is how do we know the Holy Spirit's leading? How do we know? I can say, you know what, the Holy Spirit is leading me to have Joe's Italian ice after the service. Maybe. Maybe he has someone he wants me to meet there, but probably knowing myself, I just want Joe's Italian ice. And, and so how do I know? And, and there's a number of things. Mostly this is something that we get into through practice and by trying to rely on the Holy Spirit and, and seeing him direct, he then shows us more the next time. And the first point in this is to be praying for the direction of the Holy Spirit. Ask God for direction today. When we leave here, ask God for direction of how he wants you to spend your day. As you're going into a, a grocery store, as you're going into a fast food place, ask God, if there's someone in here you want me to talk to, put it on my heart. And so this is part of opening ourselves up to recognizing the Holy Spirit's real and recognizing that the Holy Spirit wants to direct us. And so we begin to, to pray and ask that God would use the Holy Spirit to direct us. God, put someone on my heart. Help me to have a meeting with someone that needs you. Help me to share the gospel. I think another key for how do we know the Spirit is we need to remove all the obstacles to knowing when the Spirit's telling us something. See, if there is sin in our hearts, if there is sin, unconfessed sin in our lives, that we are still practicing and not giving up, we are stifling the Holy Spirit. Oh, the Holy Spirit's speaking, but he's speaking conviction about your sin at that point, not what new ministry you can have. And so, so if we're going to hear the Holy Spirit, we've got to deal with sin in our lives. Any known sin, to confess it, to give it to God. We also need to make sure we don't have the wrong main things that are distracting us, the wrong priorities. These are things that are obstacles to hearing the Holy Spirit's leading. But the positive side, be praying for the Holy Spirit's leading, and then be watching and looking for the Holy Spirit to work. Sometimes we can pray, God, use me. Holy Spirit, direct me. And then we forget about it all week. No, the second step of this is to be looking for the Holy Spirit to tell you something. To be looking for those opportunities. To be looking for those divine appointments. If I bet, 
I would bet money, and I don't, so don't, don't take me up on this. If I bet, I would bet money that if we prayed for opportunities for the Holy Spirit to direct us, and if we were looking this week, that it would happen this week in our lives. Because that's just how faithful God is. And how much he wants to guide and direct us through the Holy Spirit. See, ultimately, he doesn't want the guidance of the Holy Spirit to be a, a one, once a week thing. He wants it to be a 24-7 thing. Where everything I do, my attitude is, okay, God, lead me here. Direct me here. What do you want me to do here? For some of you that, that are um, less planners than others, that might be easier. For some of you that are the planner type, this can be really hard. It can be really hard to let someone else make your plans and change your plans. Because it's probably not efficient. It probably messes up your plans for the day. But boy, when we let the Holy Spirit work and when we see him direct us to a divine appointment, it is incredible. And it is faith-building and it is amazing to see what God does. So how do we know the Spirit? Be praying. Remove any obstacles. Be watching and looking for the Holy Spirit to work. And then the last one, just real practical. If there's a prompting to talk to someone, or if there's a prompting to do something and it's not contrary to God's Word, that's probably the Holy Spirit. Do that. Do that and see what happens. But We need to be vigilant vigilant in looking for how the Holy Spirit might be directing us. Every situation, everything. I'm, uh, we have a, a couple in our home that are learning how to drive. And one of the things that I'm trying to teach is defensive driving, right? Because you want to be vigilant in looking. Now, in that case, it's not opportunities to meet someone. It's, it's you're looking for opportunities to not meet someone, <laughs> um, car to car, but vigilant, I mean, we, we have a motto in our house that they're, they're all like, when they're driving, I'm like, what do we know about other cars? And, and the thing is, other cars are stupid. Um, and, and I'm not saying we're not, but assume the worst. And so we're, we're trying to teach them how to be vigilant in driving. What if we took that same vigilance of defensive driving or whatever it is and say, okay, how am I looking at every situation for how the Holy Spirit might want, want to use me here? how the Holy Spirit might want me to be a blessing to someone. And so we get into this habit of listening to the Holy Spirit and obeying the Holy Spirit. And Philip is just a marvelous example of that. Here's the thing in our obeying the Holy Spirit. Our tendency is we can, when, when it comes to sharing the gospel, we want to look for the perfect opportunity. Everything's set up perfectly. That person comes to me and they say, I'd like to accept Jesus. How can I accept Jesus? Then I can share the gospel. But the challenge of this text is God wants to use us earlier in the process. God might want to use us to plant seeds. God might want to use us to answer questions. And so rather than waiting for the perfect opportunity to share the gospel, we might be the divine opportunity that opens that door up. But we have to be willing to do it. One last thought on this, just to, to, to help us be looking for the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, we need to leave some space in our lives for the Holy Spirit. Not only be asking, but to leave some space in our schedules. 
too rigid of a schedule can quench the spirit. Now, I'm not standing here and saying don't plan. I like plans. I like plans, but maybe we can plan space or be okay if those plans don't work. And I know half of you just shuddered. But maybe we can be okay if, if the Holy Spirit changes the plan. If that person in Taco Bell wants to talk and we have to miss our next meeting. What if that's okay? Because the Holy Spirit is directing. And so to obey the Holy Spirit, to listen, to see these opportunities come to fruition, we've got to leave space for them. We've got to be willing to take the time for them. So the first thing we see in this text is to learn to be reliant on the Holy Spirit for direction and insight. The second thing, now we start to get into, okay, how did he share the gospel? What can we learn from how he shared the gospel? The second point is be willing to cross social boundaries and be uncomfortable. Be willing to cross social boundaries and be uncomfortable. The Holy Spirit probably isn't going to ask you to do the things you're most comfortable with. You're already going to do those. The Holy Spirit is going to push you and challenge you to get out of your comfort zone for the power of the gospel. Are we willing to do that? I hope so. It's exciting. I know, I'm coming from one that likes change. And so I'm like, yeah. But the Holy Spirit wants us to be uncomfortable a little bit, to cross social boundaries, to get past our little comfort zone and to say, I will do anything God asks me to do. God is all about bringing in the marginalized, the lost, the sick. We saw that in the life of Jesus, and now as his church picks up his work, we see the same thing. And as we, as we go on in the text, we see a couple of descriptions there in, in 27. So he goes to the desert place, isolated. Okay, God, I'm here. He rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And so we come to this and we have to put on our lens of understanding biblical culture and biblical history. And we have to understand this is a Gentile. This is not someone that has been included in the church before. And on top of that, he was an Ethiopian eunuch. And and a eunuch here, he's he's a rich official we know of Candace. But a eunuch here is probably someone that because of their position, especially from Ethiopia where he's from, because of their position, they are physically castrated as part of service to the queen. And so this, this man, his body has been mutilated, and, and, but this is his position. He's the finance minister or the treasurer to the queen. But understand, he went to Jerusalem to worship, and in Judaism... We know from the law that if you are dismembered or disfigured in any way, you are considered an outsider and can never gain entrance to the temple sacrifices and temple worship. The furthest you could go is the court of Gentiles. Nothing more is, is available to you. You can't even be a proselyte of Judaism with your body this way. And so this man is the very definition of an outsider where the law itself says he can't be included. He's coming from the furthest reaches of the world. In fact, in, in the Greeks and the Romans of the time, they would have considered this part of, of the world, the, the Ethiopia he's from, not quite where modern-day Ethiopia is, but where he's from, they called this the ends of the world. 
That should get us a little excited because of Acts 1.8. Like, yes, that's where we're going. But this is a taste of that being fulfilled. But this man is, is a, coming from a pagan country, a Gentile, having been made a eunuch, and so he has no chance. But there, there, there's a, a beautiful story here. So we know from his position, he's a court official of Candace. Candace, by the way, is not a name, it's a title. It's a title like a pharaoh or a Caesar. It's a title for the queen. And so you might, you might even say, I'm, I'm serving the Candace or something like that, like the pharaoh. So, so men, if you want to make your wives happy, you can go home and say, you are my Candace. No, don't say that. Never mind. We think of that as names. It's not a name. It's a title. Just say you're my queen, and you're good. Um, and so we have this official that is in this position that is seeking God. Somehow he knows about Judaism, but his circumstances prevent full entrance into Judaism. He's traveled this approximately 50, 60-day journey one way just to be on the outskirts and look into what he desires. And he's on his way home. And it's beautiful because God is directing this encounter to bring an outsider and to be a, bring a Gentile into his kingdom. Proving it was God's idea all along to bring all people to the cross. All people to the cross. In fact, when, when, we, when we think today and when we think of some of the, the issues with racism and race, this just again speaks to that and spans that. The, the Ethiopian eunuch probably had a darker skin color than the Jewish people who already were a dark olive. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter. In fact, later Cornelius would show that some of us that are a little more pink would be invited to the cross as well. Skin color didn't matter. Culture didn't matter. Physical deformment didn't matter. What mattered was, is this person loving Jesus? Is this person seeking Jesus? And I love this story because of that. Because it's a reminder of how the church should be. That some of those things that divide us, some of those things that divide our culture have no place to divide the family of God. And we're going to get there because he's brought in as a full member of the family. So the text goes on in 28. He's returning from Jerusalem to worship. Seated in his chariot, his entourage, wealthy man, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Another coincidence. By the way, Gentiles just didn't have scrolls of Isaiah. This is rare. This, is, this would have been an expensive thing. Somehow... He has a scroll of Isaiah. He's reading it. And, and the Spirit says to Philip, go over, join this chariot. And we already talked about that. Philip goes. And, and this would have been strange just from the class difference. An ordinary guy going up to a dignitary out on the road. I imagine if, if you're driving along and you're stopped at a signal and someone starts pounding on your window. I think Susie had that happen this morning at a drive through we, we usually don't say, hey, how you doing? We roll up the windows and drive off as fast as we can. Wisely so. But Philip, he goes up and he approaches the chariot in verse 29 there. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, 
heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, coincidence number two, and asked, and this is amazing because he's willing to ask uh, the first question, an open question, do you understand what you are reading? Just a side note, culturally it would have been common if you're reading a scroll or something like that, that you read it out loud. They didn't really have silent reading, that, that concept. So this was how you read, you read out loud. And Philip comes alongside and he hears what's going on. Now, now catch all of these coincidences. God is, is working in the eunuch's heart. He is working. And so point number three there, watch how God prepares the heart and circumstances. These are opportunities. And two parts to that. Number one, someone's salvation isn't completely up to me. Praise God, I would mess it up. Praise God, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts and the Holy Spirit that draws. He just wants me to obey and be faithful so I can sort of be a spectator to the greatness of God. Be an agent in his hand a little bit, but God is the one that's doing the work here. The other aspect of this is just really seeing how God has already been preparing the eunuch's heart. And one of the things is, as we're working with people, as we're looking with opportunities, as you're talking with your neighbors, listen. Listen and watch where is God working. It is so much more effective to see where God is working and then join there rather than go off on our own. And that's what Philip does. He's listening. He comes alongside. I recognize that. By coincidence, of course, another coincidence, it just happens to be Isaiah 53. The chapter that if you were to go to any Old Testament chapter for a clearer presentation of Jesus, you couldn't find it. This is it. This is the clearest presentation of Jesus in the gospel. And that just happens to be where the Holy Spirit has the eunuch reading. How cool is that? It's, and so God is preparing his heart. Philip comes alongside and he hears what God is doing and he, jo <clears throat> Sorry. and he joins in. He hears Isaiah and he sees an opportunity. He realizes that God has orchestrated this passage. And it comes from Isaiah 53. This, this passage is verse 7 and 8. I want to read part of that and I'm going to start back at verse 6, the verse before. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so we see a, a clear statement that we're all sinners. Every one of us have sinned. Every one of us deserve a penalty for that sin. And then we see a clear statement that, that the Lord, Yahweh, has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Because Jesus was our substitute and he took our sin on himself and paid for it in his own body. This is an amazing verse in the Old Testament. We, we talked about this when we studied Isaiah, that this is one of the reasons why a lot of Orthodox Jewish synagogues won't even read this chapter, because it's too clear. Verse 7, where, where it picks up where the, the eunuch was reading, and he had already, he, undoubtedly he was reading the whole passage, but this is where Philip heard. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened up not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And we see a description here of the crucifixion of Jesus, the Lamb of God. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, 
who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And so whoever they're talking about in Isaiah 53 was killed for the, for the sins of the people to take that iniquity on himself and would no longer have descendants because he was, he was taken away. And the eunuch's reading this saying, I don't get it. I, who's he talking about? I don't get it. And, and that's where God is working in even the questions someone asks, in even the passage they're reading. And so we want to see how God is preparing the heart and circumstances. But that goes with point number four. These two go together. Ask good questions, answer questions, and know the gospel. Because we read on, after, after Philip hears this passage, the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And that was some of the questions they had at the time. Is Isaiah talking about himself? But yet, that doesn't make sense. This didn't happen to Isaiah. Um, some in, in, in Israel at the time, Judaism at the time, was now interpreting this and trying to interpret it as, well, this is speaking of the, the Jewish people. This is the Jewish nation is what this is speaking about. But that was an entirely unsatisfactory answer because all the things in the chapter can't apply to the Jewish people. And so the, the eunuch is genuinely asking the question. And Philip was willing to hear that. So Philip starts by asking a good question. Do you understand? Passage. And then in verse 34, the, the, the eunuch then asks back, about who, whom is this? I, I, I don't get it. In the process of this, the, the eunuch said in verse 31, how can I understand it unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And Philip went, and he did it. And so we see these questions and answers coming. Philip's now sitting beside him, and they're talking Scripture with this Ethiopian Gentile. And they're talking Scripture. And what's interesting is Philip doesn't shy away. In 35, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Reminds me of the road to Emmaus, and, and, and where Jesus sits down, and he, or they're, they're walking, and he just starts with the prophets and, and explains how the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. That's what Philip does here. Philip opened his mouth, and that, that's a phrase that was used of have a deep conversation, start to bring the weighty things in. Time of teaching. And he just explains the word. All the way through Jesus, we don't know which passages, we don't, but, but we know he got to Jesus and told him about the, the death and resurrection, and, and the eunuch ends up, his heart is stirred because Philip was willing to do this. Ultimately, because of the Holy Spirit worked in his heart, but God used Philip and this time to stir this eunuch's heart to accept Christ, to give his life to Jesus Christ. And so we want to be watching in our, in our circumstances. How is God working? Who's asking questions? Who's seeking? But then, this is just good strategy. Ask good questions. You don't have to come in with, with the four spiritual laws every time and say, this is it. Go to hell or accept it. But rather, have a dialogue. Have a conversation. Listen to the questions. Now, this implies we've got to know the gospel well enough to answer some questions. And there's a balance here. I'm not saying you have to have a seminary education, 
But you do need to know that we're all sinners and there's a, a penalty for sin and Christ died for our sin, took that on the cross, rose again the third day, paying for that sin completely. And if we follow him, we have eternal life. Do you know that much of the gospel? Everyone in this room just heard it. And if we know that, we can start to answer questions. And, and if we hit questions we can't answer, it's okay to say, I don't know. You know what, let's find that out. Let me look that up. Let me talk to one of the elders. Just, you know, throw you guys in there. Not the pastors. No, it's just kidding. <laughs> and then go back and answer questions. But have the dialogue. Ask good questions. Answer questions. Know the gospel and see what God does. And then we come 36 through 38. As they were going along the road, which implies a pretty long conversation, they're going along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. Remember the region we're in? Arid, deserty, water is rare. In fact, I think I have a picture of, of where they think this happened. Jeremiah, did I do this out of order? That one. Um, now this is a little bit more towards Gaza. You're starting to get a little closer to the Mediterranean Sea. So this is like super lush and green compared to the, the desert. But this is one of the only areas that they found water, they found a spring in this case, along this road. So it's, we don't know exactly that it happened here, but we do know that this was the only place on the road with water. So, you know, you, you can sort of surmise that this might be where this baptism happened. See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And in verse 38, And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And you get a picture, a, a beautiful picture of baptism in the church. And remember, baptism represented a couple things. It represented a public identifying, I am a Christian, I am following Christ, which would have been huge for the Ethiopian eunuch to do. But baptism also was, was seen as entrance into a group. And so you were baptized into something. And the, the picture here is so beautiful because... The way that you enter Judaism is you were baptized into Judaism. You, you became a proselyte. You did all these things. You were baptized into Judaism. That was off the table. He wasn't allowed to do that because he was a eunuch. But here, he suggests, after hearing the gospel and, and coming to a, a saving faith in Jesus Christ, he said, why can't I be baptized? And Philip didn't say, well, you know, you're not really one of us. You don't really look like us. You're, you're sort of like a, a high official and a Gentile. He didn't say any of that. He said, let's do it. Stop the chariot. Let's go down into the water. And, and just a side note, the wording here means to immerse, and that's, that was the practice of the time, so they found a place with enough water to do this. But point number five, how I summarize this, is adopt them into the family as soon as possible. Adopt them into the family as soon as possible. And so we see this man wanting to make a public commitment of his faith in Christ, and Philip accepted it because this had so much meaning to say, you are fully in the Christian family. You are fully in the church. Not a second-class citizen, but a first-class citizen. So the eunuch was demonstrating an allegiance to Christ. Philip was demonstrating an acceptance into the church. 
Some of you might have verse 37 there. I don't know. Some of you might know, have already noticed you're missing verse 37. Um, verse 37, not to get too deep into it, it's a textual variant that isn't in the earliest manuscripts. And one of the things that we always want to do, and, and what the, the um, translators of the ESV, they always want to try to translate the most accurate manuscripts we have. And verse 37 looks like it was a scribal edition later, edition later and, and probably correct because it talks about if you believe with all, that Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So it adds sort of the statement of baptism that we use sometimes. Um, but that probably wasn't in the original language, but it probably was the case that it happened. Um, we don't know, but every indication of the text is that this man had a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so he was baptized into the family of God. This man who couldn't have a biological family now has, is a part of God's family. A man who couldn't have a family now has a family. And that's what we mean when we say we want to be church family. This is family. Everyone that comes into the church knowing Jesus Christ with a commitment to Jesus Christ is family. It's why, like I said last week, I encourage you to be baptized if you haven't been baptized. That's a sign that you are committed to this church family and God's family. And it's a public way of saying, yeah, you're adopted into this family, <clears throat> into God's family. One other note. Remember the portion of Isaiah we said we were in? He was in? Isaiah 53. Now, Back then, the scrolls didn't have like chapter division or verse division. It just was written straight out, right? We've talked about this. Lower on the page, Isaiah 56, possibly on the same page that is open, but we know he's reading through Isaiah, so he would have just read this passage or was just about to read this passage as Isaiah 56, 3 through 5. And I get chills when I read this because... God was speaking through the prophet Isaiah that someday the foreigners would be accepted into the kingdom. And someday the foreigners and the eunuchs would be accepted as part of God's family. Imagine if you're the eunuch and you just accepted Christ and you read this. And let me read it for you. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuchs say, Behold, I am a dry tree. I'm worthless. I can't have any descendants. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the promise... The hope, the prophecy is someday you'll, you'll have a name in the household. You'll be part of the family. And it'll be better than sons and daughters. You'll be a real part of the family, not a second-class citizen. And it will never end. It cannot be cut off. Imagine the eunuch reading that. Would that be encouraging? That hundreds of years before it was prophesied that the kingdom of God would expand to foreigners, outsiders, Gentiles, and yes, even eunuchs. There's a little bit of my imagination there. But I just think he kept reading on as, they tra as he traveled, and he read that, and it was an incredible blessing from God to him. 
a promise of God to him. We get to verses 39 and 40, and really the conclusion here. And when they came up out of the water from the baptism, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Now, we could try to explain it, and okay, Philip said, I got to go, and he runs off. No, the word here is, the, is snatched. It's the same word from 1 Thessalonians that we get raptured. They came up out of the water, and no joke, Philip disappeared. Okay? It happened. This is, yes, Star Trek transporters. I know we've been doing Star Wars, but um, it happened, and we don't know why or how, except that it was a miracle of God. Imagine being the eunuch. But he wasn't shaken, because what does it say? The Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, disappeared, and went on his way rejoicing. And so the eunuch recognized it for what it was. This was God bringing a messenger of the gospel, God bringing him into the kingdom, and brought him into joy. Brought him into joy, which, by the way, was the same description of Samaria when they accepted the gospel. That there was joy in all the town. And so the eunuch has gone from confusion about Isaiah to joy. Philip, in verse 40, Philip found himself at Azotus. That had to be a little strange, too. Coming up out of the water, and all of a sudden you look around, and I'm in a town 40 miles away. And so, rather than sit and sort of collect himself, it says, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel. He has a better story now. He preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And we don't know, but at the end of Acts, we find Philip living in Caesarea with his family, um, preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel. What an ending. And it's a true story. This actually happened this way. The eunuch is left with joy. And if you don't know Jesus Christ... And if you're pursuing peace or joy with all kinds of other things other than following Christ, you're not going to find it. Joy and peace don't come from the absence of conflict or the absence of problem. They come from a reliance that God is dealing with the problems. And so as people come to Christ and they really understand Christ and give themselves to Him, there is a joy and a peace that is unmistakable. And then Philip. Philip just won't be quiet about the gospel anymore. Praise God. And he goes and he ends up on the coast and going through the towns there because he is committed to following the Holy Spirit wherever he directs and and obeying the Holy Spirit. And may that be us as we think of divine appointments. May we be willing to listen to the Holy Spirit. May we be willing to walk through those doors to get up in those chariots. One of the the commentaries gave a great picture of what this might look like today. Picture yourself waiting in an airport. You come in the airport, it's crowded, the only seat is next to all these people. You sit down, and the stranger that you don't know on your left has his Bible open, and it's to John 3.16. You have a choice at that point. Do I put in the earbuds, turn up my music or podcast, and, and just wait in silence because... That's just what you do in airports? Or do you get up in the chariot and do something? And and this person says, what if the Holy Spirit says, say something? 
And, and maybe you say something as simple as you look over John 3 and you're like, oh, isn't 16 a great verse? And then they say, well, I don't know. I'm not quite sure what it means. Open door. Ask the right question. That, that's sort of a modern-day equivalent of what happened. So what's your passing chariot? What's your divine appointment? At the office, when you hear, I'm worried about my job, I'm worried about my future, I'm worried about my, my marriage, I'm overwhelmed, I don't know how my kids are turning out, that might be a passing chariot waiting for you to get up and get in and ask some questions. At school, when you hear, I, I just don't like myself, nobody likes me, should I be involved in this or that, I don't know my place in this world, there's no hope in this world, what does God have to do with all of this? That could be your passing chariot to ask some questions and answer some questions and have a divine appointment. We hear things all the time. A young couple that says, I'm having a baby, or, or a mom that isn't married saying, I'm having a baby, I don't know what to do. A couple that's saying, we think we might want to get married, we're not sure what to do. Those big changes in life are all divine opportunities to step up and get in the chariot and to have a conversation. You never know what might be an open door for the good news of the gospel. So be ready. Be ready. See what divine appointments God has for you and I this week. And then let's talk about it next week. Share with each other and see what God does. Let's pray. Lord God, may we take notice of the example of Philip here. And start being more sensitive to the Spirit, start listening to the Spirit more and stepping through those doors. Lord, I pray that you would bring divine appointments into the lives of our church, that you would use us as your hands and feet for more people to be discipled to follow you, more people to come to you, more people to come into your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would use us and that we would be willing Lord, I pray for stories this week of how you've arranged appointments and we've been willing to say something that opened a door for the gospel. Lord, help us not be silent, but to be your mouthpieces, your ambassadors, God. In your name, amen.